What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I circled week seven on the Pac-12 schedule when the, when the schedule came out. Uh, you know, And I thought this was going to be the week that we started to see some crossover games. And, of course, it starts with Oregon-Washington. We're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into the picks. We're going to talk a little bit about whether or not Utah did a disservice to Cam Rising. Did they lose the PR game? We're going to talk about Alex Grinch and USC, the defensive coordinator there, struggling. We'll get to all of that in our picks. I'm John Canzano. I uh, I am uh, writing now exclusively at johnconzano.com. You can get a paid subscription or a free subscription right there. Get what works for you because that works for me. I'm with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. Uh, he had great reporting this week, uh, broke a story on the Comcast front. We're going to dive into that. We'll get to Cam Rising. We'll get to Alex Grinch. We'll get to a little bit of the timeline for Oregon State and Washington State and what's going to happen in 2024, all on today's episode. But, Wilner, let's start with the Comcast stuff. What did you learn there? Well, so there's a whole there's a lawsuit, right? It's hard to keep track of all of all the Pac-12's legal entanglements these days. There have been and there have been many times in the last few months I wish I had gone to law school. Uh, but and folks might forget because it all began in January. But right, the the Pac-12 fired two executives uh, for failing to report overpayments by Comcast that were initially believed to be about fifty million. Uh, the Comcast excessive payments by Comcast to the Pac-12 networks. So the two fired executives, former CFO Brent Willman and former Pac-12 networks president. Mark Shukin filed a wrongful termination lawsuit against the conference in April. And since that point, there have been dozens and dozens of legal filings uh, in San Francisco Superior Court. I was reviewing those some of those filings and, and found a declaration to the court by George Kliakoff in which he explains the details of the Comcast situation, right? Because I mean, I think we always have wondered exactly what the money, the financial damage was, but also how the heck the whole thing happened. Between Kliakov's, uh statements, Wilman's statements, Shukin's statements, it, there's a clearer picture of what happened. I think the, the headline is the number. It's the first on-the-record confirmation that we've gotten on the damage, which is $72 million over the course of 12 years. And I'm that's going to be split evenly. And my understanding is that it will be taken care of by the end of the current fiscal year. Comcast is essentially withholding $72 million worth of payments to the conference uh, by the end of the end of June. So if there is some kind of conference starting next summer that Washington State and Oregon State occupy, that liability will be off the books. But $72 million, big hit for, for 12 schools. Yeah, we originally started talking about that like it was, you know, $50 million, $60 million. Yep. Now it's, it's grown to $72 million. Interesting to, you know, to, to see that in the accounting, Comcast would just withhold that from payments, which sort of suggests that the emergency fund that people had talked about earmarking to help offset that, that the emergency fund might still be intact. I'm sure 
Washington State and Oregon State are going to want to hear about that. But where do you think that wrongful termination lawsuit ends up? I mean, is that a settlement like a lot of these other things that we're expecting? Uh, I think it may end up being a settlement. And, and the state of the conference uh, is very different than what it was when they filed that the the suit in the first place in April. So uh, I always lean towards settlements, whether it's the lawsuit Oregon State and Washington State have brought against the other 10 or or this situation. Um, you know, the, the Pac-12 has got a, a, the Holiday Bowl has taken the Pac-12 to court over UCLA's uh canceling of the game in 2021 i just kind of always think there's going to end up being a settlement uh but it is interesting in my reporting i i was told by multiple sources that the emergency funds have basically been tapped out and so uh i do not believe Hmm. there is anything material in there um for washington state oregon state if they want to proceed uh in the conference starting next summer and that that certainly had been an asset they were hoping existed. It doesn't seem like there's anything there. I think that money, the president's approved the use of that money to make the school, to help the schools offset the Comcast uh, payment reductions. So, okay. The, so that, so the mer- that ultimately in the accounting, that money now supposed to be earmarked to help offset. So, it, so that fund yeah. will be depleted. Okay. I believe so. I okay. believe that's the case. Uh, but, you know, as with so much, we don't know ex- the exact details. Uh, the other interesting piece is that, you know, how the whole thing happened. You know, the Pac-12 ordered this audit in December of 2016 and and basically got the results a year later that showed Comcast was overpaying by $5 million. And everybody in the Pac-12, all the executives were surprised. And I kept wondering, well, why couldn't they confirm it? And the reason is because Comcast payments – were made to the Pac-12 networks were based on Comcast's proprietary subscriber data. Pac-12 did not have access to Comcast's subscriber data. The audit company didn't have access. So it was only Comcast that knew, and they were basically uh, double paying for subscribers. So if you lived, let's just an example, if you lived in Denver and you had – uh, Comcast, and you got the Pac-12 national feed and the Pac-12 Colorado feed, that was only supposed to be one count as one subscriber. But that person would be counted, was counted by Comcast's uh, accounting mechanism as two subscribers. So they were paying the Pac-12 for two people when they should have been paying for one. I think that is what happened. And and Comcast was the only one who who could fix it and who knew what was going on. So the Pac-12 was kind of left in the dark about the, the problem. Now, they certainly should have alerted Comcast. That was a gross management error and not alerting Comcast to the overpayment. But that's the reason the Pac-12 couldn't confirm the details. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, given everything that we have seen in the last 14 months and everything we saw under the Larry Scott era, I mean, none of this surprises me as you look at it. Um, I'm glad that it'll be settled. Comcast deserves its money, Um, even though uh, Comcast is not going to get a lot of empathy from me or people in our audience. But um, (laughs) I I think uh, it's just such a larger systemic issue that you see playing itself out and so true over and over these kinds of things plaguing the conference just bad leadership bad management bad communication 
uh, it's symptomatic. It's like when you go into a restaurant, you know, and you uh, you go to use the restroom, right? You know, you sit down. Right, I'm going to go wash my hands. I'm going to go use the restroom. You walk in there, and the restroom's just filthy. Like it it erodes my confidence in the restaurant, right? Like I I go, what does the kitchen look like? You know what 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 is the service going to look like if this yep. is how how they present themselves? I mean. The Pac-12's restroom is a mess. There's paper towels all over the ground. They're out of toilet paper. You know, it's just, uh, yep. it's, it's a mess. Yep. It's a mess. And, and you know, the the lead janitor, so to speak, you know, the commissioners obviously have screwed up. But at so so have, uh, you know, the restaurant owners, the, the, the presidents and chancellors, right, that by just letting it go and not having any kind of oversight, not caring, uh, not paying any attention. John Wilner, let's get right into the picks. We have a lot to talk about. We want to touch on Cam Rising and what's going on at Utah. We want to touch on USC and the decoordinator situation as it develops. Washington, Oregon is uh, obviously a huge, huge football game with some mind games being played this week and a couple of other teams really trying to Get some momentum. Uh, let's start with the Friday night game. Stanford at Colorado, 7 o'clock Friday on ESPN. Colorado's an 11.5-point home favorite. What do you see there? Well, certainly Stanford's got an advantage in that they're it's coming off a bye, right? So Stanford's had two weeks to prepare, and Colorado played yet another close game Saturday at Tempe uh, at ASU. I kind of think this might be a little closer than expected, uh, you know, Stanford hung around against Arizona. So I, I just think Colorado, you know, the letdown potential for Colorado uh, exists. We don't know if Travis Hunter is going to play, but I think it may end up being a little bit closer, closer than expected. What do you think? I have, I have it the same way. Uh, 11 and a half is too many points. Stanford's rested. Stanford's biggest problem this season has been in the red zone on offense. Okay, so, you know, they, they're dead last in the Pac-12 in touchdowns with only nine touchdowns. They're first in field goals. So they've been getting field goals. They've been getting threes, not sevens in the red zone. Colorado gives up sevens. We know that. We know that defense isn't great. I still think Colorado probably wins this game at home because home favorites are just lethal in winning games outright in the Pac-12. But I think it's close. I think it's like 34-28 Colorado. I, I, I would take Stanford in 11 and a half. Did you see Dion's comments about how dumb the the late kickoffs are? I did not. Oh yeah, he was being critical of well, it's a you know it's an eight o'clock kickoff in Boulder, and he was being very critical, basically saying, "I'm glad we're done with the Pac-12. I'm thrilled we're going into the Big 12. These late kickoffs are are stupid." And I'm thinking, well, I you know there's a lot of reasons you should be uh, you know that the Big 12 is is going to work for Colorado, but I mean, it's not like the late kickoffs are going to end, right? When Colorado plays at Arizona in a conference game or BYU or Utah, right? Those games, there's going to be some late games. It's not like they're going to vanish, but I thought it was very interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, just he's railing on those. Now, there may be fewer for each team because it's a 16-team league, but, but you know, th those late kickoffs for ESPN have a lot of value, and whatever conference Colorado's in, they're going to be playing them. Yeah, and he's on a Friday night where he, they're going to get good number on ESPN. And here's the bigger thing for Colorado in the Big 12. I mean, look around the Big 12. Uh, after Texas and Oklahoma leave, that's a conference where Colorado doesn't have to deal with Oregon or Washington or US, USC, UCLA, where they're going to they're gonna fare much better in that conference. They're built for that conference versus 
the the Pac-12. They they cannot compete right now in the Pac-12, and and they'll do fine in the Big 12 moving forward. That's the bigger thing there. But I don't know. I I think I'm so over like that. Feels like a conversation we we were having in 2019. You know, 2020, the late kickoffs. We all know the late kickoffs stunk, but we all know that in the end. The reason, one of the reasons why the Big 12 Conference likes Colorado and likes Utah and the Four Corner Schools is that they can get into that window. And I, I don't expect that that's going to end. You know, he'll still get big noon kickoffs on Fox if they're good. But, you know, they're going to occasionally play some later games, and that was part of it. Uh, moving to Cal in Utah. This is an interesting one. 12 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. At Rice-Eccles Stadium, Utah's a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite. We got to talk Cam Rising. Cam Rising, you know, we all thought he had a torn ACL in the Rose Bowl. Turns out he had a medial collateral ligament tear. He had an injury to his meniscus. He had a medial patellofemoral ligament. Uh, basically, he had a knee reconstruction. And Utah has kept this secret. Rising went on ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, invented a little bit about it opened up about it last week the, the you know Utah coach Kyle Whittingham is still he says he knows who who's going to start at quarterback he's not sharing it with the rest of us where do you stand on Utah's handling of Cam Rising's injury yeah I think this is a kind of an interesting topic for us to chew on here the 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 PR aspect of it right because as much as these coaches want to keep their players in a bubble that doesn't exist, especially for Utah, which is in a, a big city and so many people care. And Rising is such a high-profile player at the most important position, right? I, I just – I have wondered since I found out – I mean, he hurt something in his knee I never even heard of before. It was such a bad injury. And when I saw the details, I thought to myself, there was no chance in hell he was going to be ready for Florida. Now, you understand why Whittingham would want to try to keep the opponents guessing. But at some point, do you not – and and certainly Rising, you know, this is a, a student-athlete health issue. So there's a privacy concern. Rising basically would have to approve any public disclosure of the injury. But at some point, don't you need to kind of come forward and say, you know what? His knee was completely shredded, and he's not going to be back for a while. So everybody just needs to back off. Let's – move that narrative aside let's focus on who is available to play quarterback and not spend every minute of the day wondering if rising is going to play on a week-to-week basis i just feel like that whole public the the discussion and the furor has an impact on what goes on inside the team as much as the coaches want to think that there's a wall i i would want to hear from cam rising on that because that's the guy to me it matters did was he uncomfortable with the idea that Utah was using him as a, as a pawn in the in the early parts of the season? That they were basically saying he might be back, and he knew he wasn't going to be back. That did it put him in an unfair position? And I kind of think him coming forth and going public on that Bill Riley radio interview where he talked about it was a sign that he you know he was hearing some of the pressure and seeing people looking at him going, well, why aren't you back? Why aren't you back? What's taking so long? You, you, there was a possibility you were going to be back. But he played into this, too, throughout the summer. I mean, in Vegas yep. in July, he sat there at media day, and he said, you know, he was feeling good, felt like he might be ready. Like, he played into it a little bit. So I just kind of wonder if if Utah losing to Oregon State triggered this, 
where he suddenly was like, hey, fans are upset that he's not on the field. He's got to come out and be honest with people. Or or did the Utah coaching staff tell him, you know, we don't want you talking about it? Like, did they put him in a bad position? So yeah. I, I need to hear from him because if he's okay with it, then I'm okay with it. But if he, Well, the other piece, yeah. the other piece too, though, is the the role that his doctor played and the communication between the doctor and rising and the school and was there some kind of breakdown there like was the were rising and whittingham thinking yeah he really might be able to play sometime in september and the doctor failed to communicate that or did the doctor think he was going to be ready earlier and somehow the recovery has taken longer so there's also the medical piece but that would be good to know as well because it would help it would help everybody kind of put the put the pieces together in this puzzle and and provide a little bit of clarity yeah and i i wonder too you know there, there's a possibility here that camp rising like cam rising's people were saying hey let's not get this out there because this could presumably hurt his nfl draft stock right it, you know if they if they know it's a full reconstruction of the knee they'd eventually get the medical records but we don't want this out there now. We don't want this public. Uh, there's a chance that that was part of it. So that's why I need to hear from Cam Rising because ultimately the eyes all went to him. Like the Oregon State-Utah game, I was by the Utah bench for the whole game. I saw Cam Rising. He was 20 feet away from me for the whole game. And I could feel like I kept looking at him going, he's got to be going crazy right now because if he were on the field – you know they would be better. They, you know, they would be better. They'd be, they might be ahead of Oregon State instead of down twenty-one-seven in that game. And I could feel the Utah fan base, you know, uh, and the Utah fans around me. People were talking about it. People were yelling at, "Hey, Cam, come on, get better!" You know. And so I wonder if he got put in a bad position by Utah, or was he complicit in that because he's a grown-up? You know, did he say, "Hey, I don't want this out there." But uh, the whole game got tired. It, it was just too long. It went on for too long. And I think there needs to come a point, like, I, I get it. Kyle Whittingham's trying to create an advantage where he's saying, hey, I, I know who's playing, but I don't see why that helps us win if I tell you who's playing. Um, there just needs to come a point where I think he's a little more transparent there and says, hey, here's what happened, and talk about it. Because he does, that coaching staff does look right now like – they used Cam Rising's injury as a strategy play instead of, you know, were they really, was there really a chance that he was going to start in week one, week two, week three? If not, let's move on and let's be fair to Cam Rising. Yeah. And, I, and the yeah. bigger picture too for any school is, you know, transparency is almost always better. Right. And, and this is a, this is an interesting case study for that that piece of it. Uh, what do we got next? Well, who do you well, like? In we that need to make game? our pick. We, we got to make our pick. Pick right. a pick. Yeah. Uh, Utah's ahead, a thirteen and a half point home favorite. Who do you like? I'm taking Utah only because I don't think Cal's going to score much. Right? They got a rookie quarterback, Fernando Mendoza. He started one game last week against Oregon State at home, and Rice Eccles is basically a graveyard for for rookie quarterbacks. Uh, I I think I don't know that Utah's going to. Do well, no matter who's quarterback. I think they're going to struggle on offense. Their running game has not been there. But, I mean, if they can get to 24 points, 21, 24 points, I think they got a great chance to cover because I don't see how Cal's going to score much. Yeah, Utah's won 17 straight at home. Cal's an unranked team. This is not the right team to go in there and win. And so Utah wins this game, and I think they they cover the 13 and a half. 
Uh, moving to the big one. Oregon's at Washington, 12:30 Saturday, ABC. Washington is about a three-point favorite. I expect that to drop before kickoff. It started at three and a half. It's now at three. Wilner, who do you like in the Oregon-Washington game? Well, first of all, I'm curious because you're up there in the middle of it. What are what's the what is the uh, the narrative, the back and forth? The, you know, I love all the rivalry aspects of this. What what is What's the vibe up there? Well, I'm going to tell you, I had Dave Softy Mahler of KJR in Seattle on my own show this week, biggest Husky honk in the land, and he came out and said he thinks it would be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game, that everything that Washington does well, Oregon has an answer for. And then you've got the wide receiver coach at Washington coming out saying, Oregon's got the best pass defense in the United States of America, probably the best pass defense on planet Earth. And everybody's sandbagging. And Oregon has been pretty quiet. But I can tell you, Wilner, you remember how frenzied Oregon was in front of the Colorado game? Yes. I feel that building on the Oregon side. I think that this one is big for Oregon. Bo Nix, remember the injury last year? I think the Ducks really want this game, and I think they're being very quiet. But I will not be surprised, you know, if a camera's on Dan Lanning right before the game, if the vein in his neck is popping out and... He's yelling at his team about substance and the we talk with our pads and all that stuff. I, I think this one means a lot to Dan Lanning and a lot to Oregon. The interesting piece to me is that it, it doesn't it matters less who wins than who loses because both of these teams have Heisman Trophy candidates at quarterback. Both want to win the Pac-12 championship, which they haven't done in several years, and both want to make the playoff. And the loser is going to have a much harder road for all those things because the loser is in a position to get to the playoff where they got to run the table. And that's going to be hard because both of them have to play USC. Both of them have to play their state rivals. They got to win the championship game. So I think that's the bigger story is the there's more at stake for the loser than the winner. Uh, because, you know, if you win, what you're basically getting is margin for error down the stretch. If you lose, your margin for error is gone. I, I think, you know, I'm thinking about Alabama and Georgia. And Alabama and Georgia have had some years in the SEC where they were both really good, and they played each other in the SEC title game and then met again in the college football playoff. And Oregon and Washington this year, there in my eyes, there's a separation between Oregon and Washington and then everybody else. There's a gap there. That upper tier is those two teams. And so I do think we could see a rematch in December in Vegas. And I think there's a remote possibility that if they split these two games, we could even see both of these teams making a case for the playoff uh, in a playoff berth, depending on what happens in other conferences. So keep an eye on that. That's happened twice in the SEC the Pac-12, the greatest irony would be to see two teams in the playoff. But if if you're looking at, like, let's just say whoever wins this game Saturday runs the table and ends up undefeated playing in the conference championship game, and whoever loses it gets there two with one loss, I think you'd have the number one team in the country playing in that game. And, you know, if the team with one loss beats the undefeated team, I do think that the playoff selection committee would look at go and go, hey, what do we do here? So I, I am really... Curious to see if everything I believe about these teams comes true because I think they're both really good. But again, I look at who they played, and you know, Washington has a win over Michigan State, Oregon has a win over Texas Tech. Outside of that, 
Like, we don't really know. We don't know if these are great teams or just good teams, but I think they have a chance to validate each other on Saturday. I like Oregon in this game. I know home favorites are 27-1, and one, but I just think I think Oregon is the more complete team. I think they have the better defense, and I think they're going to show up with a big-time chip on their shoulder. Yeah, I think they got better run-pass balance, and then they got better offense-defense balance from, from what I've seen. But you never know, right? I mean, it's uh, the Huskies won last year in Eugene. They're at home. Uh, I think it'll be – it's all going to be based on how's Washington's defense do uh, against Oregon's running game in early downs, and how how is Oregon's uh, pressure on Michael Penix going to be – especially on second and third down, right? Because if Penix has got time to throw, he's going to, he's going to pick them apart. It It is going to be, uh, it should be a terrific game. And and certainly for the PAC 12, the best outcome is for the winner of this game to run the table and the loser of this game to run the table. And so they meet again in Vegas and the loser of yep. this game then wins that game. And so they're both sitting there at, at, uh, with one loss and it, this would be the year. I don't think it'll happen, but this would be the year for the PAC 12 to get two in given where the big 12 is given that Alabama's down, given that Notre Dame has two losses, which was very significant. Uh, this, it would just be, it'd be so on brand for the PAC 12 to get two teams in the playoff in its final year. I can't, I can't even describe it. I like Oregon. I, I got it 38, 31, something like that. I'm not seeing a million points like everybody else because I think it'll be a little tighter than that. But uh, I think it's uh, I think if you can get to to thirty eight, you're going to win this game. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. I think Oregon. Yeah, I got there. I got the Ducks too, and and uh, Softy did a great job uh, setting Oregon up. That yep. right. just absolute mastermind yep. in setting up the Ducks. He, and, you know, but I think down deep, I think there's truth in what he was saying. Like I do think Oregon is better. In a, in a number of places. I think it's Michael Penix Jr. and it's Washington's receivers. But when I talk about what Oregon's got, I talk about their defense, Bo Nix, Bucky Irving. They're just balanced. And I think that yeah. the chip on the shoulder, I think, is a deciding factor in this game. All right, let's pivot yeah. to Arizona's at Washington State, 4 o'clock Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Washington State at home, 8.5-point favorite. What do you see? Well, Arizona has been terrific against the spread this year. Uh, the the game last week at USC, they were like you know nineteen twenty point dogs, and they went to went to overtime. I, I, Arizona's defense is better than people thought, and the point spreads with the uh, Arizona games, I don't think has caught up to the improvement. Right? They they covered against Washington. They covered against Mississippi State. They covered against USC. I like Arizona to cover, although it's going to be tough. Right? They had that really taxing game in the Coliseum triple overtime. And now they got to turn around and make the trip to, to Pullman. Uh, but I like Arizona to keep this thing pretty close and, and kind of use you UCLA's blueprint against the Cougars uh, to kind of, you know, get Cam Ward a little bit out of his rhythm. I got Arizona to cover. I think Arizona covers as well, but I think Washington state wins the game. I, th- I have Washington state 31, 27. I, I was surprised at how sleepy the Cougars looked last week against UCLA. They just just there there's just no, there was nothing. It would, offensively they were so disappointing and and you know, if they don't get a pick six, they get boat raced in that game. And so I I'm looking for a bounce back in Pullman. I I think there are a few places in the conference there's a few home fields that are particularly advantageous. 
I think Washington State's got one. I think Oregon State's got one. I think Oregon has one. I think Utah has one. And I, I think this is more about Washington State than Arizona. But you're right. Arizona leads the conference in respectable outcomes. That's where they are right now. Yeah, good way to put it, yes. Yep. USC Notre Dame, 4.30 Saturday on NBC and Peacock. I'll start on this one. I went into the week thinking I was going to pick against USC. I want to because they gave up 28, 41, and 41 to opposing offenses in the last three games. But Notre Dame's just not built for this game. I think USC outscores them, but I don't think it answers any of the defensive questions because I think Notre Dame could get 30 points and lose this game still, and we're still talking about Alex Grinch and the defense. Yeah, the Irish are going to certainly try to basically shorten the game, right? They're going to try to run the ball. They're going to try to wear USC down. Get it, get it into the fourth quarter, and then hope they can make a play or two. Uh, I just wonder, you know, Caleb Williams is so good, uh, and this is obviously a huge stage for him. Yeah, he can, he can win the game by himself. But I, I am just fascinated by the Alex Grinch situation, and we should get into that a little bit. Yeah, what, and, what are they going to you know, do? It's, what are they going to do Lincoln, there? It's like Lincoln Riley is just de- every utterance of criticism about Grinch from fans, the media, whatever. He just digs in. It seems like he just digs in that much deeper with his defensive coordinator and just takes the mindset like, I don't care. I'll If we got to win a game 55-50, we'll win it 55-50. I am not making a change just because everybody thinks I should make a change. It's almost like it's gotten personal and emotional for him, uh, at least from the outside. That's how it looks to me. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, it's hard. I, I saw this in the Chip Kelly era, that people want to make excuses for the defense because the offense is so good and gets off the field fast. But we saw Nick Aliotti when he was at Oregon put a defense on the field that was the best defense against pace in the country. He substituted liberally. He recognized that, hey, we're going to score in – drives of 60 to 90 seconds sometimes, and we're going to have to play a longer game, and we're going to have to play more plays because of it. I don't think Alex Grinch has, has adapted to what Lincoln Riley's doing on the offensive side of the ball, and I think it's it's killing USC. And uh, I think a guy like Nick Aliotti can see it plain as day. You know, you have to, even if you've had success at other places, you have to be able to go in and match what's happening on the other side of the ball or complement what's happening on the other side of the ball. And I think Caleb Williams is going to win this game by himself. I think you put it well. I think I think USC is going to win. But we all know they're flawed, and we all know they're going to lose multiple games, I think, in the Pac-12. I think, you know, Oregon and Washington and whoever else is coming for them. And I think they got Utah next week. Yeah. They go Notre Dame, then they got Utah, I think Cal, and then they got to play Oregon and Washington back to back. Then UCLA. I mean, that's six games. I could see them going three and three. They'll probably end up four and two or something. But it is a their first half was cupcakes. Their second half is just brutal. And uh, that's that's the main reason why I think that you know if you're handicapping the conference right now, right? They are definitely on the second tier behind the Ducks and Huskies. No, I keep saying they're like three games away from. F- being number 24 in the country like yeah they just have that feel to me even though they win yeah. we can all see that they're flawed but i think they're gonna i got i picked this one like 31 30 usc over notre dame because i think notre dame will score this is a notre dame offense and only got 14 on ohio state i think i think notre dame will score on them 
But I think Caleb Williams will do enough to, to make it not matter, and they'll dance into another week. Uh, UCLA's at Oregon State, 5 o'clock Saturday on Fox. Um, there's some stuff going on in the background of this. I, Wilner, I want to talk about this before we get to the game, but Oregon State's a three-and-a-half-point home favorite at Research Stadium. Uh, I, I found out this week that Oregon State and Washington State have been in regular communication with Dave Brown, who is the scheduling mastermind who puts together all the schedules. We've talked about him before on this pod. We should get him as a guest on this podcast, and he would be great. But Dave Brown's been working on 12-game schedules for them in 2024, and I, I'm told there were four different calls they had in the last 10 days. They, I feel like they're like 7 to 10 days away from some clarity on what they're going to do. I know that the Mountain West Conference athletic directors are meeting next week in Vegas. There's some um, some discussion about maybe a scheduling partnership for 2024, not a merger, where some of the Mountain West teams would play the Pac-2 teams. But it looks to me like unless something imminently changes here in the next week to 10 days, I think they're going to try to make a go of it as a Pac-2 in 2024 and then figure out what they do in 2025 and beyond. But that's kind of where it appears to be heading. And my first flag on that was Oregon State tried to move the Portland State game in 2025. So I started calling around trying to find out why are they trying to move that game and then ultimately realized they're not just trying to move that game. They are trying to piece together a schedule for 2024. So there, uh, Dave Brown, the scheduling mastermind, is uh, is doing his thing right now. So that I would take that to mean right. The only way they, if it's going to get resolved in seven to ten days, that means they're not waiting for the Pac-12 legal process, which is going to take longer, and they are committing basically to just playing as two next year. Right? Is that your read? Yeah, that's my read. And and I and I went down I went down every path, and I said, okay, what about the Big Twelve? What about the ACC? Those two entities are still digesting what they just ate. You know, they're not, I don't think they have an appetite, at least for 2024, to do anything. So that those doors are closed. Then you look at, could there be a reverse merger? Well, you can't do the reverse merger unless you know what assets Oregon State and Washington State get in litigation. So that, you have to pause that. You know, Mountain West reverse merger or whatever they want to do, you got to wait on that. So the option that is most viable to them is playing as a two, letting Dave Brown piece it together. He can't wait to, forever to do that. I mean, I talked to him, and he said that, you know, he thinks that there's a lot of motivation in college athletics right now to help out Oregon State and Washington State. So there are some people who are moving games around, and I noticed UCLA moved a game around. I was kind of wondering, will UCLA end up uh, as an opponent for Washington State or Oregon State? Because UCLA has back-to-back open dates now that are uh, in 2024. And they don't need them both. So uh, there's some stuff going on there. And further, I'm being told that the transfer portal windows are driving the motivation. They don't want that portal window that opens the Monday after the Pac-12 championship game. So it's December 4th. The transfer 30-day window opens. They don't want athletes at Washington State and Oregon State to not know what's going on. They want some time to sell them on, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be great. Here's who we're going to play and be able to sell that to their current athletes. So I think logically that's where they are. And then for other sports like spring sports, and they, look at the transfer portal windows. I'm told that each of the sports transfer portal windows will dictate sort of their announcement of what they're going to do. So I expect an announcement in basketball to come 
the Monday after Selection Sunday. And I expect uh, you baseball, volleyball, all those sports, you should get clarity in front of the portal window opening. It seems clear to me that one of the strategies that the 10 schools are taking in the lawsuit is to slow play it because they know that Oregon State and Washington State have got to get on with planning for 2024. The slower the legal process takes, the, the may, perhaps the more motivated those two schools would be to reach some kind of settlement so they can get clarity on next season. But the other piece that I wonder about is the scheduling is a two-team conference in no, October and November because other schools are going to have conference games locked in and it's much you can't move a conference game like you can move a non-conference game so do you have any insight as to who they those two teams would play in october and november when everybody else is immersed in league in league play yeah i think they're going to get some help from the mountain west and i think there's a scheduling partnership that has been bantered about by the mountain west conference that you know they could let oregon state and washington state play some of the mountain west conference teams in games during those months. I don't think they will count in the conference standings in the Mountain West, but it offers Oregon State and Washington State some opponents. And, you know, they don't need them all because even as I talked with Dave Brown, he said we can, you know, we can move things around and they can find games throughout the season. They could also play a home-and-home. It's not unprecedented. In 2019, you had a couple of teams that did a home-and-home series, and, uh, you know, it worked out. So there could be a home-and-home series that's played maybe one game in October, maybe one game at the end of the season. Um, I also have talked to officials at both Oregon and Oregon State. I think it's unlikely that the Civil War will come back in 2024, but there appears to be some discussion at least about these two teams eventually resuming that rivalry. I don't know where the, the te- you know, Oregon State's got some bad feelings, just like Washington State has some bad feelings with the, with the Apple Cup, but I, I think the I think the Civil War rivalry will get back online before the Apple Cup, just based on the conversations that I'm having. And I, I think Interesting. Or, Oregon and Oregon State have been in contact. They haven't resumed anything. Oregon's got 13 games on their schedule in 2024. But, you know, Dave Brown, the scheduling guru, he, you know, you give that guy the puzzle. I got to be honest with you, Wilner. I looked at kind of like, could Oregon swap with Oregon State and have Oregon State play Texas Tech next year? And then Oregon State slides into the Texas Tech window to play Oregon. And I looked at Texas Tech's schedule and said, okay, they'd have to move something. And then I started looking at that team's uh, opponents. And and uh, pretty soon I had a migraine. And So I don't know how Dave Brown does it. But, uh, you know, he, he says not that big a deal when I talked to him. And that, that kind of was the tenor of our conversation. Like, he could do it. It's not impossible. The other two pieces to that Mountain West scheduling uh, alliance are that the Mountain West only plays eight league games for non-conference, so they have some flexibility there. And the other piece is I believe that next year, the way the calendar falls, there's an extra buy in the schedule because uh, the first Saturday of the season is like August 31st, just because of where Labor Day is. And so if there's a second buy, if there's an extra week in the season, if it's 15 weeks and not 14, that also would create some flexibility for the two schools to play uh, quality opponents in, in October and November. Yeah, and there's there's just a lot of maneuvering that's going on right now. Like I know San Diego State is technically on the schedule to play Portland State next year. That game's not happening, and nobody knows it yet. 
And I found out that, you know, it will not be San Diego State playing Portland State. It'll be Boise State sliding into their position, and there'll be $50,000 exchanged in that, you know, to, in order to take that game. And so there, there's already some jockeying going on where the ink hasn't dried and nobody knows about it. So I just, I'm being told seven to 10 days there will be clarity. Now, we've heard these timelines and these goalposts move before, but that's kind of where I think it makes sense logistically for me. If I'm Oregon State, Washington State, I want to be able to tell my players, hey, here's what we're doing, and I want some time to sell them on the idea that this is a good thing. So I, yep. I, I think sooner rather than later, just for 2024, and then you figure out 2025. Who do you like in the uh, OSU-UCLA game? itself I, I think the Bruins have been really good on defense and so I think it's gonna be a great game I think it's gonna be really physical but I think this is more of research stadium being the opponent than Oregon State they're just different there and I think you know Damian Martinez is a leading rusher in the Pac-12 Brian Lindgren the offensive coordinator at Oregon State spreading the ball around I mean DJ Uyunglele has thrown touchdown passes to receivers running backs tight ends offensive linemen and defensive linemen this season. I just think Oregon State is going to find a way to win this game. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I think it's like a 27-23 game. Dante Moore at Research Stadium, kind of similar to what I'm talking about with a young quarterback going to Rice-Eccles Stadium. I just think there's going to be a mistake made there. It's interesting. We've got between UCLA, Oregon State, USC, Notre Dame, and Oregon, Washington, right? That's... that's uh three games with ranked versus ranked teams. And uh, only one of those teams has two losses so far. That's Notre Dame. I think UCLA, uh, Oregon State, it could be a, a fantastic game. Uh, I agree with you about more on the road. That is, to me, what is separating. And it's still a little early, right? But to me, that's what separates Oregon and Washington is I just have more confidence that those schools can go on the road and win. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you watch Oregon State at Washington State. They didn't, they just didn't look great, right? You watch Washington State on the road at UCLA, didn't look great. UCLA on the road in Salt Lake, struggled. O Utah on the road at Oregon State, struggled. Winning on the road, you're going to have to win on the road a few games in order to win the conference. And I just have more confidence in Oregon and Washington being able to do that than any of the other schools. And that, and that includes USC as well. So I got the Bruins uh, and the, and the points. Uh, certainly the under is very tempting too. who wins uh, the game though. Do you like, do you think they, they just cover or do they does UCLA win that game? You know, I got, I think Oregon state's going to win, but I, it could, this could be a field goal game. The last possession wins field goal, uh, really, just a really well played kind of an old school game, right? Compared to the other ones, old, run the ball, play good defense. Like you said, 27, 24, 27, 23, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I just haven't, I haven't seen the consistency from Oregon State that they had last season when they got humming. And so defensively, they gave up 40 to Cal. That's it, you know, that raised an eyebrow for me. But at home, I'd pick them if this game were at the Rose Bowl, I'd pick UCLA all day. Yeah, and yeah. So well, and they gave yeah. up uh, thirty-eight at Pullman, so that's yeah. seventy-eight points in two in two conference road games. The Beavers have given up. So I I'll take Oregon State, and uh, I think they win the game. And it's an, you're right, it's an elimination game. Somebody's getting a second loss, and so uh, I think it's an elimination game for the conference championship picture. That was a lot. We got to a lot there. A lot of off the field stuff uh, intertwined with uh, with our picks. Uh, there is certainly no 
no shortage of news going on these days. Fantastic work by you this week. Read him Appreciate at Pac12Hotline.com. You can find my work at JohnConzano.com. I will be in Seattle at the Oregon-Washington game covering that on site, and uh, it'll be exciting. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week because uh, we will have, I think, somebody's going to be sitting in pole position, and we're going to have a couple of teams eliminated from that race, and I think it's going to become very clear with the uh, final month or so of the season ahead, it's going to become very clear who is a contender and who is not. Yeah, I mean, every week, the rest of the season, Pac-12 has got matchups of ranked teams. Some weeks, there's multiple matchups of ranked teams. So tons to talk about on the field, uh, and certainly there'll be plenty to talk about off the field too as well. He is John Canzano at johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, Pac-12hotline.com at the Bay Area News Group. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Appreciate all your support. Thank you.